All right, we're live. We are live, guys. So hopefully a few of you at least got the warning that I just put up so that you could see that I was about to do a class. I'm sort of doing these classes a little ninja style where no one um, gets sort of warned ahead of time that they're going to come up. Today we're going to be talking about 10 different commonly used cat idioms. And so I have this as a post on my website that I created when I first started English, or started Aussie English, I want to say. And it's received quite a lot of attention. I didn't realize how many people were finding it on Google. So I decided to jump on one of these lessons and talk about the different cat idioms. We'll just go through one through to 10. I've got um, figurative meanings, literal meanings, an example and then other forms of these expressions. So let's just dive into it, guys. Number one, the cat idiom, has a cat got your tongue? Has a cat got your tongue? So you can imagine a cat grabbing onto your tongue. The figurative meaning of this expression is that it's said to someone when they're annoyed or that you won't speak. They're annoyed that you're not speaking. So they might say to you, why aren't you talking? Why aren't you saying anything? Has a cat got your tongue? Has a cat got your tongue? And the literal meaning, the idiom apparently began to be used by children back in the 1800s with no sensible derivation. So there's no real understanding of why this, does a cat got your tongue? Does a a cat have your tongue? Why it started? But kids in the 1800s, so, you know, 200 years ago, started using this expression in the playground at school, saying it to one another when they couldn't answer. So if you can't say anything or someone you're talking to can't say anything back to you or isn't saying anything, you can say from now on, why aren't you talking? Has a cat got your tongue? Number two, number two, a cat nap, a cat nap. So a nap is like a siesta, it's a quick sleep, and we use this figuratively to mean a short sleep. So if you have a cat nap, it means that you have a very quick sleep. You go to bed for maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it's a cat nap. And you can imagine that this is what cats do, right? If you have a cat in your house, quite often they sleep, but they almost sleep with one eye open, right? They'll be there, they'll be lying down, but they're always kind of looking around. They're just very... They have little sleeps, they're not, they're not dozing for a very long time. They close their eyes and then they'll get up. They might look for some food, then they might have another cat nap. So a cat nap. Number two is a cat nap, a siesta, a quick sleep. Number three, curiosity killed the cat. This is an expression, but it's more like a saying. It's something that you might say to someone who is too curious. So the figurative meaning would be that being too curious has led someone into a dangerous situation or somewhere that they shouldn't be. So if you say to someone, you should be careful, curiosity killed the cat, the idea is that cats that were curious, say they climbed up a tree looking for a nest but then fell out of the tree and died, they ended up dying from being curious. And so you'd say to children, for example, if they're asking too many questions, they're curious about something, you would say, ah, ah, don't forget, curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity killed the cat. So it's a warning. Number four, to let the cat out of the bag. So to allow the cat to leave the bag, but it's said as to let the cat out of the bag. And a bag is kind of like a sack. 
it's something that you put things in. So if you go to the shopping centre and you put stuff in that uh, plastic container, effectively, that's sort of loose, made of plastic, that's a bag. So if you let the cat out of the bag, figuratively, this means to disclose a secret, to tell someone a secret. So imagine that you've set up a surprise birthday for your father and the day before that surprise birthday is meant to happen, the, his daughter that knows about the party rings him and says, oh, there's a surprise party for you. And you'd be like, first of all, you'd be like, why the hell did you just tell him the secret? But you could use the expression, why did you let the cat out of the bag? Why did you tell him the secret? Uh, his daughter let the cat out of the bag. She told him what was going to happen. She let the cat out of the bag. So to, to disclose a secret, to tell someone a secret. Number five, the fifth cat idiom, number five. A copycat. A copycat. So to copy is to mimic, to do what someone else is doing. You're copying them. If someone, say in class, is writing their essay answers and you look at their answers and then you write the same thing, you're copying the kid. And we use copycat. I don't know why. It's, um, let's see if I've got, have I got the, there's no origin here. So I don't know why, but it just means to copy someone. So if you are a copycat, it's a noun, you are that thing then you are copying someone else. So it's when you imitate someone, you mimic them, you do what they do, you're copying them. You're a copycat. And it could be apparently here based on, if I do a quick search, based on kittens copying their parents, copying their mother. Maybe that's it. So kittens obviously want to learn how to be cats. They want to learn what to do and what not to do. And so they copy their mum. So apparently that's where a copycat might originate from. Number six, the sixth cat idiom. Number six, a cat burglar. A cat burglar. So this figuratively means a burglar who gains entry into a building without, and sorry, while avoiding uh, detection through the use of agility or stealth. So a cat burglar is someone you'll often see wearing black all over them. They've, you know, used a grappling hook on a rope to climb up and then they've broken into a building. So they're very sly, they're very sneaky, they're undetected, just like a cat who is, you know, hunting birds in the trees. They're very stealthy, they're very sly. So a cat burglar is the kind of burglar you would see, I guess, like Mission Impossible. If you imagine when they're trying to break into the bank, that's kind of like what a cat burglar would do. They're stealing a diamond from inside of a museum. A cat burglar. Number seven, to rain cats and dogs. This one's used a lot. To rain cats and dogs. So it just means to rain a lot. And the literal meaning, the true origin of the phrase is really not that well known. But the most probable explanation here is that it originates from England in the 1700s. So almost 300, probably more than 300 years ago. When storm drains filled with water because of all the rain that came down, dead cats and dogs would float in the streets. That's a bit of a morbid thought, but apparently that's where the expression to rain cats and dogs might come from. It rains so much that dead cats and dogs that would have been in the streets back then were floating around. And you would think, oh my gosh, these dead cats and dogs have come out of the sky. So to rain cats and dogs, to rain heavily, to piss down rain, to rain a lot. Number eight, number eight. There's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way 
to skin a cat. If you skin something, that is to literally use a knife and take the skin, the flesh, off the animal. So often, obviously, dead animals will get skinned. You'll have people skin things like cows and pigs, all sorts of things in butcheries. Um, You'll have it happen in museums. I've had to do that a few times with certain animals to then preserve them as specimens in the museum. And the figurative meaning here is that there's more than one way of achieving something. There's more than one way of doing something. There's more than one way of skinning a cat means that there's more than one way of achieving a goal. So obviously if you do skin an animal, there's more than one way to do it. You could start with the feet and go to the head. You could start at the head, go to the feet. There's multiple ways of doing it. There's more than one way to skin a cat. All right, what are we up to now? Number nine, number nine. A scaredy cat, a scaredy cat. And this will often also be heard as a fraidy cat. And it just means someone who is always afraid, excessively fearful, excessively afraid of things, so scared of things. So if you've got like a sister who's constantly scared of things, you could say, yeah, she's a bit of a scaredy cat. She's a bit of a scaredy cat or she's a bit of a fraidy cat. So she's just overly fearful for no real reason. You know how cats can be skittish? If you see a sleeping cat in the street and you go to pat it, it might just freak out and be scared of you. Scaredy cat, a scaredy cat. Number 10, the final one before we go into question mode, guys, where you guys can ask me questions. Number 10, to put the cat among the pigeons. To put the cat among the pigeons. So the figurative meaning here is to do or say something that will make a lot of people angry or worried. And the literal meaning is the idiom refers to the act of letting a cat go inside of a dove house, so where pigeons or doves are kept, and that the cat's going to go in there and kill all of the doves. So often if you go somewhere and you put the cat among the pigeons, figuratively this is where you've said something or you've done something that's going to upset a lot of people or cause a lot of controversy. It's going to cause people to fight. So what are some examples? If we, tell the imply, if we tell the employees at work that we're just going to fire one of them next week, but we don't tell them who, you could say that that is putting the cat among the pigeons because now they're all going to be freaking out. They're all going to be worried. They might even start arguing or fighting. You've put the cat among the pigeons. So that's it, guys. That was 10 different cat idioms. We'll just do a quick recap. Has the cat got your tongue? Meaning... It's said to someone when they're, you're annoyed that they're not speaking. They haven't, they're not saying anything. Has a cat got your tongue? Number two, a cat nap, a quick sleep, like a siesta. Number three, curiosity killed the cat. So this is where being curious leads to something dangerous or leads to a dangerous situation. Cat idiom number four, to let the cat out of the bag. This meant to disclose a secret. Cat idiom number five, a copycat. When you copy someone, you mimic someone, you imitate someone, you're a copycat. Number six, a cat burglar. So someone who's very stealthy and agile and steals things, often at night. Number seven, to rain cats and dogs. So this is to to rain excessively when it just pisses down rain, to rain cats and dogs. Number eight, there's more than one way to skin a cat more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way of achieving your goal. Number nine, a scaredy cat. 
someone who is excessively afraid or um, scared of just everything, a scaredy cat. And number 10 was to put the cat among the pigeons. To put the cat among the pigeons, which was to do or say something that will make people worried or angry. So now that we've finished that, guys, I'm going to open it up to Q&A where you guys can ask me any questions you want about any of those idioms. And you can also ask me any questions you want about English in general. So this is your chance to use me as a teacher. I'll answer the questions as best that I can. Put them in a comment below, guys. Give me some questions. What have you currently been struggling with in English and what can I help you with in English? What have your, your recent troubles, struggles, issues been? Give me some comments, guys. Let me know. What about phrasal verbs? If you have any phrasal verbs, do you have any phrasal verbs that you've found difficult to use or any expressions or any words in general? Let me know in a comment, guys. Oh, I don't understand number six, number ten. All right, Mary, I'll go over them again. So number six was a cat burglar. And this was a burglar who gains entry into a building without being detected. So while avoiding detection. So you've been very sneaky. You've been sly. You've snuck in to this building and you haven't been detected and you're going in to steal something. So I think if you watch TV shows like The Pink Panther, you'll often see that a cat burglar has gotten into a museum or a bank and they've taken something and they haven't been detected. They haven't left a trace, there's been no trace left, they've gotten in, they've stolen something at night, they've used equipment, you know, like a rope to get down and then, you know, taken the thing, maybe they cut the glass open. So that's a cat burglar. Number 10 was to put a cat among the pigeons. So again, this was to let a cat go inside of a dove house, literally. So a dove house is where you keep doves or pigeons, the birds. And if you let a cat go in there, obviously it's going to kill all of these animals, all of these birds. So figuratively, to put the cat among the pigeons is to say something, like putting the cat in there, that's going to cause a lot of trouble that's going to cause a lot of ruckus, which is like movement, stress. It's going to cause a lot of worry. So if I... Maybe my sister told me a secret about my parents that I wasn't meant to know. If I went to my parents and said to them, oh, my sister Annika said this, I would be figuratively putting the cat among the pigeons because my parents would go to my sister and be like, Dude, what's up? Why did you say that? Why did you do that? So I'm causing these issues. I hope that makes sense. Any other questions, guys? Any other questions about these idioms or other questions about English in general? Phrasal verbs, expressions, vocab, pronunciation. I'm all ears. <laughs> How's it going, Marco? Any issues, guys? Any questions at all? Just at the museum at the moment, fluffing about, meaning not doing much, taking it easy, relaxing, being lazy. <laughs> so I thought I would come downstairs and do this. Do, do, do. So give me some questions, guys. This is your chance to use me as a teacher. Have you got any problems with English at the moment that you would like help with? Put them in a comment. Ask me a question, can be about phrasal verbs, can be about expressions, 
uh, auxiliary verbs, any kind of issue that you're having that you want me to discuss in this episode before I sign off, let me know. <laughs> or I can just sit here and dance the whole time. We'll see. What would you like future videos to be on too, guys? If you have any suggestions for what I can talk about in the future, let me know. Tell me what you think. It's getting quiet here at the museum tonight. There's no... Everyone's going. Everyone's going. Come on, guys. Questions, questions. Give me something. Even just chat to me. <laughs> Put something in the comments. When I go to talk in different times, it's hard, it's so hard. I really like if you can do a video to explain it. Do you mean tenses, to talk in different um, tenses, Maria? So like the past tense, the future tense, the present tense, the conditional tense. Yeah, that's very difficult. That's a lot. That's a big, big, big subject, though. That's difficult to sort of cover in one video. Are there any tenses that you are having difficulty with in particular, like the past tense? I know the past tenses are pretty difficult. I might have to do a video on those in the future, though. Marco wants to know the names of the week in, an, in the Australian dialect. So you would just say them normally, like any other dialect. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. However, you will hear in Australia often people pronounce day as D. It sounds the same as the letter D. D, 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 D. So they might, you might hear people say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sun, Sunday. So, one thing to note there as well is that Saturday gets changed into just Sat-day or Sat-dee. So, we turn that into two syllables instead of three syllables. Saturday becomes Sat-day. So, that's, that's a quite common way of saying it in Australian English, turning day into dee. Ah, yeah, I'll have to sit down and um, come up with a lesson plan, I think, for that, Maria, but... It's a good idea. I know they're difficult saying has been, have been, um, had, had, had. All of those sorts of tenses are difficult. And the prepositions, that, on and in. Yes, they're very difficult. Any context? Do you have um, specific examples of when you've had trouble using at, on and in, Maria? Because I know they're used in, obviously, many, many, many different ways, many, many different uh, uses. But if you can give me some specific examples, I can definitely chat about them right now and tell you whether or not they're correct or which preposition I'd use. So ask some questions, type some stuff in the comments, guys. If you've got any questions, I'm going to be here for another five or ten minutes chatting to you guys. I'm all ears. All ears, an expression that means I'm here listening to you or at least reading uh, what you're posting. Monday Density Mitty, gracias. What are they, Marco? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, Laura's here. What's up, Laura? You come to improve your English as well, Laura? 
So questions, guys. Chuck some questions in the, in the comments box. I'll be here for another five or ten minutes. I want to help you with your English. If you have any questions regarding phrasal verbs, prepositions, do you want me to check some sentences or even talk about different expressions, put them in the comments box. Ask me, ask me anything you want. I'm all ears. I'm here to help. Go for it. <laughs> what about you, Laura? Have you got any issues at the moment in English that you need help with? <laughs> okay, for example, if I want to go to the beach or if I'm... How can I know which to use? So, what do you mean, if I'm... Do you mean... To go to the beach is correct. You would definitely say that. You could say that... Where are you, Pete? I'm in the museum, mate. So, Maria, you could say that I'm going to the beach. So, that's talking about going from one place to another place. Going to the beach. If you are at the beach, that would be that you are at that location. So, the beach could be behind you. It could be in front of you. You could be literally there standing on the beach. You're at the beach. When you use at, you're talking about the location being where you are. You are at that location. You can also say that I am going to be on the beach. You can say, you can use the preposition on, and that would mean that you are literally standing on it. So like if I was to say that I am, okay, on the table or on the chair, I'm literally sitting on it or I'm standing on it. It's here, I'm here. So if you said I'm on the beach, you're standing on the beach. If you're at the beach, you're not necessarily on it. You could be behind it, in front of it. It could be to the left. It could be over there. You're, that's the location where you are. Obviously, you can't, you can't use in in this case because the beach is a flat thing. You can't really be inside of it. It's a... You just wouldn't explain that is that even if you dug a hole and stood in it, you're in the hole at the beach. You're in a hole on the beach. You're not inside the beach. But so they're just different ways of explaining your position. However, I guess you could say, yeah, if you dug a hole, you could be like, I am inside the hole. I'm in the hole. If you were standing on top of the hole, somehow you could say I'm on the hole. And if you wanted to say, you know, if someone was saying, where are you, where are you? And you wanted to say, oh, I'm at the location where that hole is at the beach, you could say, oh, I'm, I'm at the hole, you know, come and see me at the hole. So it's just different ways of talking about position, position, where you are in relation to these things. So it just takes practice. The good thing is you can mess up these prepositions and it's not going to confuse too many people. They might think... Ooh, that doesn't sound right, but they're going to understand what you're trying to say. You know, if you said suddenly, I'm in the beach, people aren't going to be like, what is she talking about? They might be like, what exactly do you mean? But they're going to know, okay, she's at the beach, she's on the beach, she's near the beach, but she's used the wrong preposition. So I hope that helps, Maria. Could you please pronounce avo and avo? Avo, so that's a long ah sound. And the AR is what, gives, what tells me, as a native speaker, that that vowel sound is long. So like when I pronounce words like car and bar, the R after the A, AR, tells me that it's a long vowel sound. Arvo. Arvo. Whereas 
avo, it's a short vowel sound. It's a slightly different one, like words like hat or had or um, map, but it's very short. It's avo, like avocado, as opposed to if I said r at the start, it would sound like avocado instead of avocado. Ah, 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 avo, avo. So I hope that helps. Any other questions, guys? Put some questions in the, in the comment box here if you have any issues that you want me to talk about for the next five or so minutes before I go back upstairs and start restudying or studying again. Any questions? Any questions at all? Make sure you go back and watch the start of this video too as I talk about 10 different cat expressions. So I go over all the different cat expressions in one of the posts that I have on my website and I'll make sure that I put it in the comments or in the title as well. No worries, Steph. Bit of noise in the background here, guys. Any other questions? Anything else you need help with? Comments, guys. Put some comments in. I'm getting greasies from one of the workers here. She's giving me greasies, which is a way of saying a greasy look is like, we use that as a slang term in Australian English. If someone gives you a greasy or a greasy, they're giving you a look that's like, like they're kind of angry. What's the difference between, oh my God and oh my gosh. Oh my gosh is probably more polite. So I would say, oh my gosh, if I was around my very, very religious cousins because I wouldn't want to offend them and they get offended by the use of God in those sorts of expressions. So they mean exactly the same thing. You can use them interchangeably. It's just that you would use gosh if you wanted to be slightly more polite. Although if someone isn't religious and you said, oh my God, it's not offensive. No one's going to care, but you would just use, oh my gosh, if you're around people who might be offended by you saying God like that. How is the best way to speak, to improve speaking? Speaking. Speaking is definitely the best way, Jess. I was talking to Estefania, who's hiding in here in the, in the comments earlier about this today. The best way to practice speaking, apart from speaking with other people, if you don't have the chance, is to speak to yourself. This may sound weird, but it is definitely a key element of what I've done to improve my French and my Portuguese and am trying to do at the moment to increase my Spanish, especially with the basics, I just talk to myself. I use apps like Duolingo, which is on the phone to learn the basics. And then every time I hear something, I repeat it. And if I work out that I want to say a certain phrase a lot, so like at the moment with Estefania in here, I'm trying to speak Spanish with her a little bit. And if I work out when I'm talking with her, ah, oh, this, this phrase that I know in English, say the phrase is, hey, how are you going? And I know that I'm going to want to say that a lot in other languages. I learn it and then I practice it before even talking to someone else. So it might be, yeah, Steph knows, hola, todo bien, amigos? I might say, hola, hola, todo bien, todo bien, todo bien? And I'll just sit there practicing, practicing that, that the sounds, how it feels in my mouth. So that is a really good key thing to do. Find out what your most common, commonly used phrases are, things that you want to say all the time, things like, um, you know, how are you? So a greeting. 
and I'll see you later. So some, when you're saying goodbye to someone. And then maybe phrases like, um, I'm trying to think, however I think that. So you might think, okay, I always want to say, I think that, I think that. And then you would just repeat that, repeat that. Get it till it feels good in your mouth and then you can just spit it out, spit it out. So like now that I've, you know, Steph will be able to attest to this and tell you, I say, todo bien amigos, enough. I can, I can just spit it out without having to think, you know, and it's the same in Portuguese. Como vai? Tudo bem? Tudo bem, amigos? I can just do the same thing because I sat there and practiced on my own before speaking to other people. So this is a way of building your confidence. If you're worried about talking in front of other people and about sitting there and going, mm, mm, what is that word? Take note when that does happen. Take note, write down what it is that you're trying to say. Go online or get a dictionary and look up that word, look up that phrase and then practice it on your own so that next time when you want to say that, it'll just come straight out. And it's, that really helped me in French. That, that really, really helped me because I would always have these phrases that I would want to say. I'd go and look them up, practice them and then when I talk with natives, they would just come out. So I hope that helps. For me, it's hard to pronounce the R. Can you please explain? Okay, Marco. This one I have a video on, on YouTube, about the R sound at the ends of words. And Aussie English is pretty good because it's a bit of a cheat. You don't have to pronounce the R. It's, it's, you'll even hear me saying it there when I say the letter. I'm not saying R, I'm just saying R. So it's a vowel sound, no consonants. So you're gonna have a lot of words in English that end with, at least in American English, an R, the letter R, but in Australian English, you just make the vowel sound ah. So, for instance, my name is Peter or Peter, ah, whereas Americans would say Peter or Pidar, not even Pidar, they'd say Peter, Peter, hey Peter. So, I would just pronounce it as, as an ah sound. It's the vowel sound before the ah at the ends of words. If it's at the start of words, then you have to pronounce it. So, for instance, red and my tongue is curling up like this and almost touching the roof of my mouth. So when I go, it's doing this and then it just comes back down. It doesn't completely touch my, my, the roof of my mouth or it would turn into an L sound instead of R. So it curls up and you say red, wreck, robot. I hope that helps. There's probably some better videos online explaining that. So what's Carol said here? Hey, how are you? What's the difference between despite and despite, despite the fact that? It'll be despite the, fa the fact that. Um, how can I use them? You can use both, I think, at least off the top of my head. I would need, Donata Amigo, I would need some examples, but um, okay, so despite. It'd be like, even though something is the case, this. So like, um, even though the museum here is closed at the moment, even though there's no one here, I'm here, I'm working. So despite the fact that the museum's closed, I'm here doing an English lesson. Despite the museum being closed, I'm here doing a, a, um, a lesson. So you can use them interchangeably, you just have to change the structure of the sentence. So off the top of my head, despite the museum being closed, I'm here. Despite the fact that the museum is closed, I'm here. 
So you just have to rearrange it. You can use either. Same thing. Same thing. See if I can scroll through and see some of these other comments that have disappeared. Oh, so Gerardo asks about how to pronounce the past tenses with T, D, and id. Let's see if I can make this a little brighter. There we go. All right. So I have, I actually have a cheat sheet teaching this on the website, the ED endings cheat sheet. It's a little, little bit um, complicated, but I'll try and explain it quickly. If you feel your throat, when you make a vowel sound, I'll just turn around so you can actually see me with some light. When you make a vowel sound, like ah, uh, your throat vibrates. And so when a verb, that like, like a verb like um, to ride or to walk, you want to feel the end of that verb. Does it, does it vibrate or does it not vibrate? If your throat vibrates, the following sound is D. So for instance, um, I'm trying to think of a, a verb that ends with a vowel sound off the top of my, off my head that, that isn't um, irregular. Okay, warn. Warn, it vibrates because even though I'm saying an N, which is a consonant, it's still a vocalized sound. Mm, warn. Because of that vocalized sound, I have to say warn, D. Warn, D. If it's unvoiced, unvocalized, for instance, walk. See how the, the sound stops? Walk. No more sound. Has to be a T. The reason for this is that a D is voiced. You can't say a D without making noise. D, D, D. It has to be D, 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 D. Whereas a T is unvoiced. You can't make a T with a voice sound. You have to say T, 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 T. T, 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 T. So T and D. That's why. So if a, fill your throat, if you're saying a verb, and that verb ends with vibrations in your throat, like warn, you can feel your throat vibrating, it has to be D, warn, D. If it ends with no vibrations, it has to be T, walked, um, slapped. What else is there? Um, trying to think of more regular verbs that end with a T, 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 T. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to do it off the top of my head. The id sound only happens after verbs that end with a T or a D. So they already end with a T or a D sound. That's when you have to say ud. So for want, it ends with the T. I have to say wanted. Um, need, need ends with the D. So I have to say needed. So those are the different ways, mate. They're, it takes a little practice, but... Sorry, guys, it's... The light out the back is washing me out. It, it takes just a little bit of practice, but eventually you're going to get a feel for um, the sounds that are easier to make. So if your throat is vibrating at the end of a verb in the past tense, and it's a regular verb, you say D. Wand. If it's not vibrating, you say T, like walk. T. And if it ends with a T or a D, then it has to be ud, wanted, needed. So I hope that helps, mate. Just gonna look for my comments, can't see them. Oop, comments have disappeared. Doo, doo, doo. Where are they gone? All right, I've lost the comments, guys. I hope that helps. I hope you like this episode and I will chat to you soon. I might do some more sort of stuff like this in the next few days. So keep the comments coming though. Even once I've finished, I keep reading them and I'll keep answering them and I'll chat to you later. See you guys.